Thank you so much, worship team. And welcome to Lake City, everyone. Welcome to church today. We are so glad that you chose to join us today, and especially if this is your first time to join us or your first time to join us online, it's special for us that uh, you are with us today. And church family, I just have to say how much I miss being all together. Uh, I love you all. I look forward so much to uh, you being here in the worship center and being able to gather together with you. Uh, we're going to make it through this, uh, but it's going to be wonderful. We're going to really celebrate when we can worship with each other uh, instead of online. But this is a great way for us to do church until that happens. So we've come to the final passage in the book of Malachi. This is our last of six sermons in Malachi, and I want to introduce it with a story that I heard this week. It's about an older gentleman who had a serious hearing problem for many years. His family finally convinced them that he needed to go to the hearing doctor. And when he saw the doctor, he got tested and he got fitted for a set of hearing aids that enabled him to hear almost perfectly. I mean, it was almost like magic. And on his follow-up visit a month later, the doctor said to him, you know, your hearing is now nearly 100%. Your family must be so pleased, so happy that you can hear again. I mean, what do they have to say? What are, what are they saying to you? And the man smiled and he replied to them, well, honestly, I haven't told my family yet. I'm just enjoying sitting around and listening to their conversations, and I have learned all kinds of things. In fact, I've ended up changing my will three times already. You know, as we come to our passage today, it's helpful for us to think of this as though God were eavesdropping on some conversations. He's listening to two distinct groups of people that are talking. The first group is speaking against him, and the other group is speaking with awe about the Almighty. Group number one looked around and they complained about God. Group number two looked up. And they comprehended him. And God was listening to all of that. So please take your Bibles and open up with me at this time to Malachi 3.13. It would be great if you could find a Bible wherever you are at. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament right before the book of Matthew. So please open up to Malachi 3.13. And as you do that, I want to give you just a bit of introduction to where we're at tonight. And by the way, if you... Want to have uh, sermon notes to go along with this? You can open them up on your app. Uh, they're on the LC3 Facebook page. They're also under resources on our church website. And those might be helpful for you as well. So it's helpful to realize that in this final section of Malachi that he's describing the contrast between these two groups. And contrast is one of the most common of all literary devices. For example, in 1859, Charles Dickens published his famous book, A Tale of Two Cities. It's an historical novel based in London and Paris during the French Revolution. With more than 200 million copies sold, A Tale of Two Cities ranks as one of the top-selling novels ever written. And it's a study in the contrast between the people and the life of the cities of London and Paris. Well, Malachi also uses the vehicle of contrast as he pens his final part of his prophecy. But rather than a tale of two cities, Malachi describes two groups, two groups of people. And here are the two groups that we're going to meet today. 
One group is the complainers. The main reason they worship God is because what they hope to get from him. They were basically just going through the motions even though their hearts were very far from him. Life after returning from the exile in Babylon was very hard. And they are not happy about their conditions. Because even though they were going through the motions of worship, they just weren't being blessed like they expected. And then we meet this second group of people. And Malachi describes them as believers who love and serve the Lord. They worship God for who he is. Even though they weren't blessed with great wealth, they were grateful just to have God. Having a relationship with him was enough for them. And I want to look ahead for just a minute. I want to read Malachi 3.18 because it summarizes the comparison of these two groups of people. So Malachi 3.18 says this, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So would you pray with me? Let's pause and let's pray. So Father, we just want to thank you for your holy word and for this section that we're looking at tonight in Malachi 3 and 4. God, we confess these are unique days. These are uncomfortable times. But your word says to consider it all joy when we experience various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. So God, we pray that you'd grow us, that you'd shape us in the image of your son through all that we're going through right now. And God, we pray as we study your word tonight that you would teach us what you want us to know and how you want us to live for you. And God, we pray that you would make us strong and courageous for your glory. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So Malachi has been pointing out the hard hearts of those who don't want to serve the Lord. And we've already seen five particular issues over the previous five messages. They doubted God's love for them. They dishonored God by bringing their deficient sacrifices. They profaned God's covenant by divorcing their wives. They questioned God's justice. And they were robbing God in their tithes and offerings. That's where we've been. And today we come to the sixth and final dispute that they had with God. And here's the last complaint that Malachi lays out. And then the complaint is this, why should I serve God when it doesn't seem to make any sense? Why serve God? It doesn't seem like it matters. And we'll unpack the specifics of this complaint in just a minute. But first I want to give you sort of a bird's eye view, a 30,000 foot view of our passage today. Malachi is first going to give this detailed description of these two groups of people. And then he follows it up by describing the destiny of these two groups of people. And so we begin with a description of the two groups. And Malachi begins by describing the complainers. Please listen for four specific complaints that they lodge against the Lord as we read beginning at verse 13. Here's chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we 
call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So God has been eavesdropping on the conversations of the people of Israel. And here's what they're asking. Here's what they're saying. It's vain to serve God. It's vain to serve the Lord. They were basically saying that worshiping and tithing and serving him are vain. They're useless. To them, it didn't really matter if they prayed or if they didn't pray. It didn't matter if they gave or didn't give. It didn't matter if they served God or chose not to serve him because in their minds, it's like God wasn't even there. He didn't even notice. It didn't even matter if they told the truth or if they lied because to them, they didn't think God really cared. And this same complaint rears its ugly head still in our hearts sometimes today. Perhaps you've been trying to do the right things and it just sort of feels at times like it's hopeless to keep it up. Beloved, I just want to say to you, don't stop serving God. Keep serving him. Don't lose heart. The Lord's work is definitely worth it. You know, the Lord knew that we would face this very challenge. And that's why he inspired the Apostle Paul to write this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul said this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. So here's the second complaint they were voicing. What is the profit of obeying him? And that word profit is a business term. They believed God was not paying them what he owed them, in other words. Apparently they believed God was refusing to pay up on his bills. They claimed to be doing their part in worship and giving their sacrifices and following God's law. But God simply wasn't doing his part and giving them the wealth and the success and the blessing they deserved. In other, in other words, they had this consumer mentality. What am I going to get out of this? What, what's in it for me? That's the second complaint. Their third complaint that they voiced was this. What is the profit of walking and mourning? Now, that's a little confusing, this walking and mourning. And Malachi literally says that they wore dark clothes. What's the profit of wearing dark clothes? In other words, they're dressed in black as if they're going to a funeral to mourn over their sin. But God says, while you're dressed in black on the outside... I know that you aren't genuinely mourning for your sins on the inside. They were going through the motions again. They were pretending to be sorrowful for their sin, but it wasn't a heartfelt repentance. And the fourth component of their complaint was this. Why do the evildoers prosper? Why do evildoers prosper? So as they looked around, they saw the proud prospering and they didn't like that one bit. They were convinced that God was not being fair. They'd voiced that before, but they're voicing it again. They wonder why evil people were escaping trouble while seemingly those who served God were sort of getting the short end of the stick. 
Before we get too tough on them for railing against God's justice and his fairness, I think it's important that we ask ourselves the same question. Don't we do that ourselves at times? Have you not ever felt that way? It's actually a very common complaint, very similar to what Asaph wrote in Psalm 73 when he tells us why he almost went AWOL spiritually. This is what Asaph wrote, Psalm 73. He said, but as for me, my feet almost stumbled because I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Notice that Asaph wasn't upset with the arrogant or with the wicked. He was simply jealous of them. He wanted what they had. And there is this subtle shift, a hard attitude for us to beware of here. What God was saying is these people had moved from worshiping him for who he was, for worshiping him for what he would give them. So four issues voiced as complaints that are identified by Malachi here. But there was another group in Malachi's day that responded differently when their world fell apart. Rather than speaking against God, against God's character, they trusted him. And we could call this group the believers. Let's call them the believers. This group, instead of speaking against God's character in tough times, continued to trust him. And the first thing that Malachi says about them is this, and this is the beginning of verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. They didn't understand why times were tough, but they feared the Lord just the same. Feared is a word that means to respect God. They had a reverence for who he is. A.W. Tozer said it like this. He said, to know God is to fear him and to be stunned by the splendor of his presence. Listen, God isn't there simply to meet our needs. We are here to bow before him with an attitude of holy fear so that we will glorify him in our ways and in our words. This group, this group of believers admitted they didn't understand why God allowed these difficulties into their lives, but rather than insulting God's character, they chose to trust him even when they didn't understand him. And even if we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, we can still have faith. The Bible tells us this attitude is the beginning of wisdom. In fact, Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom in life is not to attack him, but to respect him and to trust his plans. Well, let's see what else that we can learn about the believers Malachi describes here. So let's pick it up again at verse 16. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Such a hope-filled section of our text today. And it tells us some things that we need to remember about God when we are in a storm. So here's a group of believers, and they comprehend five things about God's character. We're going to look at them one at a time. 
The first thing they get is that the Lord listens to us. God listens to us. That word listen means to prick up the ears. It has the idea of God sort of leaning in, leaning forward so that he can take in everything being said about him. Beloved, God sees, God knows, and he hears everything. And he knows all about these challenging times that we live in with the virus. The financial impacts, the loss of relationship, the anxieties, and everything else that goes along with it. And he's listening to what we are saying. That matters to him. While the complainers thought that God didn't care, that he wasn't involved, that he didn't see and didn't hear their prayers for help, here we find just the opposite is true. God was watching. God does care. And he's listening to their prayers when they cry out to him. But that's not all. Here's the second thing we learn. The Lord remembers us. God remembers us. Verse 16 continues, And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And I wonder today, beloved, is your name written in that book? We'll come back to that. So a, a scroll of remembrance is a wonderful figure taken from the culture of Malachi's day. Kings kept a register of everyone who was loyal to the throne. In the book of Esther, for example, we read that King Xerxes had a sleepless night one night and he called for the book of memorable deeds. And he discovered that a man named Mordecai had delivered him from a coup but had never been rewarded. And when he heard that, he made sure that he was compensated for his commitment to the king. And that's sort of the idea here, this book of remembrance. Listen, beloved, we need to realize that God records our trust and our service for him in his records. When other people are angry at God, when other people are slandering God and his character, God sees those who trust him. And he writes it down so that he can be sure to reward them in the future. Here's the third thing. The Lord claims us. He claims us. In verse 17, we read, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. That word mine is emphatic, prominent position in the original language. In other words, those who fear him belong to him. And I love the tenderness that exudes in a similar passage that we read over in Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to this, Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Beloved, the Lord claims us as his own. And he's even adopted us into his very own family. And that is a precious truth that helps us keep our lives in perspective. A fourth aspect of God's character that we need to remember is this. The Lord treasures us. He treasures us. Verse 17 continues, In the day when I make up my treasured possession... 
The King James says they will be mine on the day that I make up my jewels. I like that, my jewels. That, and that's a good translation because the word possession literally means a valued treasure. Beloved, do you know that the Lord really does treasure you? He's crazy about you. You realize that? You matter to him far more than you will ever know. So speaking of treasuring someone, the illustration that comes to my mind is this. I have to show you a photo that was taken this morning. So this is our new granddaughter, Piper, that was born on Tuesday morning. So it's a little self-serving. I apologize for that. But uh, believe me, I treasure this little girl. I haven't had the chance to see her in person and hold her yet because of the coronavirus, but I still treasure her. So does our daughter, Janae, and her husband, Jim. So this is the parents of little Piper. Okay, so nice to have this fun distraction right now in the midst of all this craziness. And so I'm simply treasuring this new little one in our family at a distance right now. I have to confess that I've sort of been a little overboard sharing photos of our new granddaughter this past week because I just love her so much. And I want others to know about her. So, beloved, that is how God feels about you and about me. You and I are his treasured possession. Well, that brings us to number five. Because the Lord listens to us and he remembers us, he claims us and he treasures us, therefore, the Lord will also spare us. The Lord will spare us. Because God is just, you see, we deserve his justice. But because he's merciful, we don't receive what we deserve. And that, my friends, called grace. Aren't you thankful that in his grace, God chose not to spare his son, but to spare us instead? Because Jesus was sacrificed in our place, we are now free. I love the way Paul wrote about that in Romans 8. Here's what he said. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how he, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. The Lord will spare his own. And he can do that with justice because he did not spare his son. He sent him to the cross for us. Friend, those who fear the Lord comprehend these five amazing truths about him. So next Malachi goes on to say that God makes a distinction between those who reject him and those who fear him. And we'll read that again. That's verse 18. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And what strikes me is this. There are only two groups. Those who know him and those who do not know him. Listen, from God's perspective, there is no middle ground. Every person is either saved or they're lost either in the light or in the darkness, either on the road to heaven or on the highway to hell. So friend, can I ask you a question right now? Which group are you in? Are you looking around and complaining? Or are you trusting God and living faithfully for him? We'll come back to that in a few minutes, but first I want to finish out the book of Malachi. And here's where these last few verses Describe for us the destiny of these two groups. 
the destiny of the two groups. So we've already seen the description of these two groups. Now we're going to read about their destinies. And Malachi ends his prophecy with this warning about the reality of the day of judgment. In verse 17, Malachi referred to this day that is coming. And it's as if that sort of triggered him to give more details about it now at this point. And he begins by defining the day of the Lord for those who reject him. At this point, Malachi returns to the idea of a consuming fire. We read about that back at the beginning of Malachi chapter 3, and he comes right back to it here at the beginning of chapter 4. So verse 1 of chapter 4 says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So what is the day of the Lord? Well, the day of the Lord refers to Christ's return and to the final wrapping up of history for salvation and judgment. And by the way, I just have to pause here and say this is distinct from the rapture of the church, which is going to happen before that. The rapture happens, it's followed by the seven years of tribulation on the earth. So remember that the Old Testament prophets didn't really see the distinction between these two different returns of Christ. Anyway, the day of the Lord is when Christ comes back in victory and sets up his kingdom. And what will that day be like for those who have not turned to Christ in faith? Well, it's going to be a day of total destruction, he says. Malachi compares it to burning like an oven. So that oven refers to a clay furnace, very commonly used in that day, and it was a much more intense, a hotter fire than just an open, like a campfire. For those who reject Christ, the day of the Lord is going to be a hot, consuming fire, a severe time of judgment. But please hear me. Everyone will give an account of his or her life to Christ. Everyone someday will bow his or her knees to Christ, some to eternal salvation and others to eternal judgment. This day of the Lord is the best day for a believer in Jesus, but it's the worst day for an unbeliever. And if you're listening today and you're not a Christian yet, you need to hear about this. You need to know that God has a day coming, a day of judgment coming, a lake of fire, literally, prepared for the devil and all who reject his son with him. Revelation 20 describes that for us, if you want to read more about it. And I realize that, honestly, people don't really want to talk much about this reality. But I would be doing you no favor to ignore what the Bible clearly teaches. And the best news of all is this, that God has made a way for us to escape it. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and to take our punishment for us. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, you no longer need to worry about the day of the Lord. Well, that leads us to a, another question, and that is, what will the day of the Lord be like for those who do trust him? The day of the Lord will be far different for those who trust in Christ. Let's read about that beginning at verse 2. But for you who fear my name, 
The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So I love the language that Malachi uses here to describe the day of the Lord for his own. It makes it very exciting. And Malachi gives us these three analogies that I want to mention to you. First, he says the day of the Lord will be like warm sunshine. So imagine this long, dark, cold winter. Actually, we don't have to really imagine that. We've just experienced that. But then you know what it feels like when the sun finally comes out with all of its warmth and brilliance. This last week was the first day of spring and the first week of spring. And if you're like me, you got outside and you soaked in some of that sun because it felt so good. And that's what the day of the Lord will feel like for Christians, he says. It says the sun of righteousness will rise. Jesus is the one who is the sun of righteousness. And this is what Jesus' arrival will feel like for his people. It will feel like that spring moment when we love soaking up the warm rays of the sun. Let that whet your appetite for the day of the Lord when Christ returns. It will feel like that, but so much better. And it's coming, it may be even sooner than we realize. So here's the second analogy Malachi gives us. The day of the Lord will be healing for God's children. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, is the way Malachi put it. So in that day, the the wings of the sun was was a metaphor for the rays of the sun. But here we learn that the rays of Jesus' righteousness will not just feel warm, but they'll actually bring healing to his people. Imagine that moment when the radiance of Christ first strikes your body and there's no more sickness. No more doctors, no more wheelchairs, no more cancer, no more hospitals, no more health insurance, no more viruses. The radiance of Jesus' glory has such healing power that it even raises dead people from the grave. Talk about some serious healing power, right? And it will be ours to experience on that day when we enter into his presence. Well, there's a third analogy that Malachi gives us, and it's this. The day of the Lord will be a day of sheer joy. Sheer joy. It'll be like calves leaping from the stall. So, I'm a city boy, and uh, that doesn't honestly communicate a whole lot to me. I've actually never seen a calf leap from the stall. So I do have some good memories of uh, going branding with uh, friends when we were living in Colorado all those years. And uh, branding was sort of a special experience, especially for a city slicker like me. But it wasn't particularly a happy day for the cattle, at least for the bull calves, if you know what I mean. So I'm sure farmers will understand this analogy far more than I do. But I can sort of picture calves stuck in a pen for a long period of time and then finally let out and sort of leaping around the pasture in joy. I can much more relate to the the picture of a dog leaping and barking for joy when its master comes home. I've experienced that one, okay? 
So you can just sort of tell in the dog's face and as he twirls and jumps and barks. He's saying, my master's home. My master's going to set me free. Life is good again. Listen, that's what it will be like for you and for me when Jesus returns. We will finally be free. Our master has returned. Our master sets us free from this world of sin and injustice and sickness and death. Beloved, the moment we see Jesus and feel the warmth of his radiance will be the beginning of sheer joy that will last for all eternity. But there's more. Malachi wraps up his writing with a conclusion. And I want to read it for you. It's verses 4 through 6. Verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So this is a concluding appendix, both to Malachi and I think also to the Old Testament as a whole. Malachi points us back to the law and the prophets. Scripture anticipates a future day when God will restore his people. He will heal their hardened hearts. So this is full of hope and anticipation. And in the meantime, it tells us to remember the law and the prophets. In other words, God's word is a divine gift to guide us and to prepare us for the coming of the Lord. So I'm going to wrap it up now with a, a few application points, some next steps, as it were. And the first one is this. Number one, I will embrace what God says about me. And again, God says that he listens to us, he remembers us, he claims us as his own, he treasures us, and he will spare us. And friends, I call on you to, to remember that and to celebrate that today. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes that will help us do that as we close. Here's next step number two. I will serve God faithfully to the end. God calls us to serve him to the end. Be faithful servants, and it's up to us to choose. Right now, even though there are times when life is hard and we sort of question maybe what God is doing, sometimes it might even seem to us like it doesn't really even pay to follow the Lord. And that's especially when we have that choice to make. We can complain about our lives and what God is allowing to come our way, or we can believe that He is sovereign. And we can trust him and we can know that he will reward us for our faith. Listen, beloved, we can be confident that on that great and final day, the day of the Lord, when Christ returns, there will be a difference between those who reject him and those who trust him. So choose to serve him faithfully to the end. And then finally, next step three. I choose to be part of the group who follow Christ. I choose to be part of the group who follow Christ. Remember, there are only two groups of people in this world. Those who love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ 
and those who reject him. Those who obey him, those who don't obey him. And a day is coming when you're going to stand before him and give an account of your life. Please don't put off getting ready for that day. Friend, is your name written in his scroll of remembrance? If you aren't sure, I invite you today to commit yourself to Jesus Christ, to repent of your sin, and to receive his forgiveness as we close now in prayer. Please bow with me. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this amazing passage that reminds us all these precious truths about you. And Father, our heart's desire is that we would have a healthy fear of you, that we would trust you and we would live our lives for you faithfully until you come back for us, until you send your son on the day of the Lord. Lord, help us to walk in faith. Help us to live our lives for you each day. And then, Father, perhaps there's someone listening to my voice right now who hasn't taken that first step of faith. And friend, if that's you, I just want to invite you right now to pray along with me. You can do it out loud or you can do it in the silence of your heart. Just say something like this. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and I admit that I've been serving myself and not you. I believe, Jesus, you paid the price for my sins at the cross. I believe that you listen to me, that you hear me, and that you claim me as your own if I turn to you. And so now I turn to you by faith. I repent of my sins and I ask you to forgive me. I want you to spare me. And so I receive the gift of forgiveness that you are offering me today. Be my forgiver, be my savior, be my leader. And please help me to serve you and live for you until the day you return. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.